Welcome to the Technori Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Katoon. You are listening to another awesome show. I have uh, Stu Grubbs, who's a good friend of mine, uh, the CEO and founder of Lightstream. They just announced actually yesterday an A-round, $8 million uh, race for this company in the video space. I don't know if you are familiar with, with it. Go to golightstream.com, check it out. If you're a person who wants to stream, if you're a gamer, it's one of the coolest pieces. I remember them at, at Techstars three years ago with this, and the idea that you can manage your stream through your browser eliminates the need to invite people to like Skype and and you don't have to have everyone in the same room and it just it's amazing. You can hook up cameras from your computer or wireless or wired or you could be in Chicago or you could be, you know, in Baghdad. It doesn't matter where you are. You literally can sit there and connect all in the same game or just a stream to talk or a show or a podcast or whatever. Uh, very, very easy, cool technology. They've raised a bunch of money to make that even smarter. Um, they've got a partnership with Microsoft, which Stu talks about a little bit. But we spent the bulk of the show talking about the whole CTO thing because I've, I've said this many times. I, um, I, I cringe when I talk to founders who immediately anoint their co-founders and themselves too, for that matter, as CEO, CTO, CFO. No, not really. You're an accountant. You're the nearest engineer and you're just the guy who funded this. Uh, until you prove otherwise, that's what you are. And so Stu actually cut out my eyes in this conversation a little bit by going more around the route of like, no, we needed a CTO and these roles at this time. My co-founder was that got us from milestone one to two. Uh, but then we needed to advance. And with that, the team advanced and we had a heart to heart and figured out, you know, what was the right move for the team. And we talk about the fact that like, in my mind, a startup is a startup until they figure out something scalable, which Stu talks about. Once they've got something scalable, then you're a growth company or you're not because it doesn't grow and you don't sell it and your shit goes out of business. But in the meantime, you know, you've, you've got to sort of like understand who you are and play within the rules and use the people you need at that time. So Stu was able to literally every single moment talk about who they were at that time. And eventually it, it, you know, the way that he built the team enabled him to have his CTO at the time and co-founder be like, listen, we need somebody else. And they brought in uh, Jenny Farver who had experience uh, at Civis analytics with Dan Wagner and, and pop pays with Corbett. Um, and you know, a whole career, she's a PhD from Virginia and yada, yada, yada. She goes into it. Uh, but it's just a really cool story. So, so Jenny and, uh, and Stu join us on the show before we, uh, jump over to that, we're going to hit our startup inbox, which is brought to you by active campaign. See why 65,000 businesses use active campaign for their marketing by signing up at activecampaign.com slash technori. Get the first two months for free. All right, here's the deal. Robert powers, sweet name. I've always envisioned my startup would go on to become a standalone company, private, private or public but am receiving offers for acquisition. In an age where large tech companies are scooping up smaller tech companies left and right, ironically, we talk about this with Stu, which is kind of funny, briefly, but nonetheless, uh, that's how ubiquitous it is, is getting acquired the most sensible path forward for startups? Great question, easy answer. Depends on you. Um, are you, you know, Stu talked about it on the show. Are you the right person for today, but not down the road. So Stu says, I'm the CEO now. I'm good at getting us to the first place, the second place, the third place. But then after that, I'm not sure, you know, do we need to uh, have a CEO once we, a different CEO other than Stu when we get to hundred employees? Cause I don't have that skill set. That's the question. You know, do you want to be in the long haul ride? Well, one, the question is like, how much do they offer? Let's be honest. Uh, if it's four X five X plus, or it's cut your losses, you know, then maybe you got to think about it. Um, 
If you think that you're on to something with a gigantic market cap, tons of opportunity in space, you know how you're going to build a team, if it looks promising and you know what you're doing, great. If you don't know and you're just sort of feeling it out and you don't really want to be at this company wearing this t-shirt for nine years or 12 years, speaking of our sponsor, Active Campaign, it took like 12 years for for Jason to get that company to 100, 100 million in revenue. 12 years. That's a crazy amount of time, right? So who are you and how long you want to be committed to this? And then that's the decision. But in the end, like, have you taken an investment round? If you have, are you going to get enough money in that acquisition that your investors are going to be out and happy or that you're going to be able to get something out of it? How long do you have to stay on with the company investing in you? How much of your team has to stay on? Do you like the project that that you're working on that is the reason they're, they're acquiring you? There's a lot of questions, but I think ultimately if they have enough money that you think it's worth you taking it now because you only want to be committed for a few years, you like the people that are acquiring you and you're down to work for the company for a year or two or three years to get it off the ground and your team is going to be compensated properly, obviously, and yourself, then I think you got to consider it because not everything is going to make it to IPO. In fact, most aren't. So I think that's an important part of this. Anyway, great question. Uh, also, I want to announce to everybody, this is a little late in the in the podcast here, but we just announced, and I'll announce it again in the next podcast because you probably have skipped past this. Uh, we just did a deal with, uh, with Founder Institute. Uh, Technology Fellowship is alive. Uh, we are now going to sponsor uh, a female or minority-led business to go to Founder Institute. Um, that's just, you know, part of our mission, obviously, but, like, I think it's it's a great opportunity. So make sure you go to fellow.technori.com, apply, and who knows? Maybe you'll be the one that goes to Founder Institute in the spring cohort on my bill. So, anyway, this is my interview with Stu Grubbs, CEO of Lightstream, and Jenny Farver, new CTO, Lightstream. Uh, you guys just announced the race. Congratulations on that. Thank right? you. So that's awesome. Um, and then you hired a CTO, and there's a whole bunch of stuff that uh, <laughs> I want to talk to you about that. Yeah. Like, just in general, it's not just um, not not just the advancement of the company, like hiring a CTO and learning more about your, your backstory, Jenny, but also, in general, I've got some thoughts around this, let's just call it um, the the mistake of founders to like find the nearest engineer they have at the moment they start their company and immediately anoint them CTO. Right. And then find out like as soon as shit gets real that like their skill set is not a CTO. It's not the same thing. The lead engineer on on a product is not the same as the CTO of a company. And like in how you sort of navigate through that whole thing. So, I mean, I'll, I'll talk about kind of what our perspective was and then became and then i'll let kind of jenny talk about what's important yeah absolutely um you know what we're doing going forward at the time i mean you're right so you you found a company you find your smartest engineering friend and you start building something that everyone else is calling you dumb for trying to do Uh, which is why we do this right so um an enormous amount of time passes and you add a modest amount of members to that team but there is not really any traditional structure around um, uh, around the execution of it. it. It's quickly iterating and iterating until you find a product that, you know, really is addictive to the community you're trying to serve. And that none of that involves, you know, running a truly wonderful place to work with a really sharp five-year plan and like all that kind of, all the kind of things that go into building a great company and that first. So I think, you know, in the beginning, uh, you know, my co-founder Dan was 100% uh, 
the right person to have at the helm of that. And, yep. and to have somebody as, um, you know, there's many types of engineers. Uh, Dan's an incredibly creative one and one who will uh, keep working at a problem until it just somehow it's, it's solved in some capacity. Or yeah. So that was absolutely the right person to have for that first few years. And um, once you get out of the other side of that, we're, you know, we have been lucky enough to license our technology to Microsoft. So now we're a small team with enter- enterprise class problems. Yeah. Uh, you know, we have to geographically, uh, you know, worldwide serve a massive customer base like theirs. Um, and so uh, that's, you know, one part of that. Then you start scaling the team and then you find out all the little ways you had of communicating with each other, of planning what comes next, of uh, allocating resources to that, whether those are financial or human beings, understanding kind of where we have to go next. And then also making it an awesome place to be. Yeah. Uh, I mean, to be at now and then to be from later uh, are all challenges that are an entirely different skill set than, you know, what Dan's trained all his life to be, which is, uh, you know, an excellent engineer. Yeah. Um, and so he was uh, self-aware enough to start having that conversation with me uh, years ago. And yeah, go ahead. No, no, I, I just, you know, the part that I think is, a good learning moment for people is like, and you phrased it really quite well, honestly, is, is the understanding of like who you are in the moment that you're in and like what we're trying to do. And there's like always this bigger vision, whether or not it included Microsoft in the early days or not, doesn't matter. It's like, we know that we're going to need to have this kind of adoption or we're going to have to this, this, and we're like, these are the stages. I need someone who's going to be at the right time for the right mission, which is just this. And I can't really think about like what's past that. And I think a lot of companies find themselves in a, in like the co-founder dilemma of like, and I don't know the relationship you and Dan had as far as like, like long-term, like how well you knew each other. You obviously, he was at Techstars with you guys. We met for the first time face to face a year into building our product. Um, we actually worked over online together. Um, so, but we had not known each other from a previous career. Um, so I feel like that helps. Uh, yeah, I think it helps a little bit. I also think it leaves, uh, left a lot of unknowns in the relationship early on, yep. which kept us out of each other's way uh, in, a, in a lot of ways. Um, but it also, um, uh, it, you know, you were hesitant to bring up, you know, the, the touchier subjects on whether or not, like, are you sure you're making the right call here or there? And yeah. the, those um, that hesitation, though, often added a little bit of space in that conversation as opposed to. I know you're wrong because you know, yeah. I've known well, you for years and you're doing this. You know, so and that's kind of like what I'm getting pros at. Pros and cons. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm getting at. It's like you look at it and it's just like there's this understanding of if I know the person, I'm more inclined to push back on them, but I'm also less inclined to push their boundaries. Right. Because I know that they're like, dude, I I was with you when you got shelled at whatever. And you're like, oh, shit. Like, yeah, I, you know, like yeah. it's, it's a weird thing. So like one of the problems that I think is starting to rear its head, at least with earlier companies, and it's reared its head forever, but it's just... I don't know, maybe I didn't notice it, is this, when you find a co-founder, the co-founder is really in it to win it with your whole team. They're like, I don't care what my role is. I'm co-founder. I don't have a, like right. the title you assigned me doesn't mean anything. Well, that's a, I mean, that's a conversation we had. I mean, I can count it all the way back to Techstars. I said, uh, we as co-founders were sitting down and said, we may not always be in the positions we're in. Yeah. Um, I may not, and of course I'm going to, and I, I continue to do this, I'm going to try and rise to the challenge of wherever the company's at at the moment, given the amount of people it has, given the responsibilities. But I may not have done that fast enough to be the CEO of a 100-plus person company one day. Yeah. And there might be somebody better at this than I am for that phase of the company. Yep. And uh, that doesn't negate that I was the right person for the job at one time. Yeah. Um, but if we want to see even more success... 
And there's also, um, you know, philosophically, that's the right thing to do. But also, I mean, financially as well. Yeah. I mean, like no one can. And this is, you know, Dan and I had this conversation, too, about that role is like you will forever be the co-founder of this company, the architect of what we are today. And, and you also, no one will ever take away the, the shares that you own in this company. So if it's the right thing to do for not only you, so that you're not tearing yourself in two, trying to do two jobs as one person, um, for the team, so that they are both supported with this um, you know, master engineer they can learn from, but then also making this an awesome place to be and to be from. Uh, but then also financially, it's the right fiduciary so thing to do That's the part I think a lot of founders and, miss, and though, the like, that they, they don't do the math like in the end it's really like i there's of course everything you mentioned is important but there's at the end if i'm the co-founder and i have these shares and assuming you haven't like booted me out for malfeasance or something like (laughs) there's i i'm it's about the company like the thing that this is i guess this is a very long way to get to a small thing but like I think that companies and founders in particular fail to realize that the minute you take on an investor and you guys obviously announced today, a large investment yeah. uh, that or yesterday that you're no longer operating between you and your friend and your co-founder trying to do something cool. Right. This is now a fiduciary. This is now a responsibility we were, to, to investors. And, and you, we were lucky enough early on to have some very mature investors. If you remember our, yeah. even our first round had, you know, math ventures and MK capital and Pritzker group is yep. all part of that. And so, one thing we did right after that round is sat down and go, okay, well, a lot of smart people just trusted us with a not insignificant amount of money. So yep. it's our job now to do service to that. Um, but, you know, going back to the other thing you're talking about, ego is a powerful thing. And I mean that, you know, in in the traditional sense of, of self, you identi- you start to identify with the company, identify with the role more than the job that needs doing, if that makes sense. And, and so that's it's, why it's tough to be the CEO. Because you, at some point, like it does ultimately come down to like, all right, we got to make a decision. Like, it's best when the other team members recognize it and they want to be a part of that transition. Yeah. But sometimes they're not. I think if you start to identify with the role versus the impact you've had or the job you could do later. Yeah. Um, and you know, in my case, I, I could, you know, in the long, long run, I could see myself getting into back into a product position, getting back in the saddle where I where we started when I built the company. I've been a product CEO. I mean. The CEOing job has definitely changed from when we were five people in TechStars. I was just the product guy yeah. that happened to have that title. Yeah. Right? Uh, now there's very uh, CEO level stuff. It's that, an actual job, yeah, right? Yeah. So, um, g- you know, given the opportunity to go back at the right time and have the right person take this seat uh, is another conversation to have. But you know, and and I was lucky enough to have a co-founder who uh, thinks along the same lines that I do around all this, and so it was a very it's never an easy conversation, uh, but it lacked all the turmoil I've seen it be at other companies. I won't even say it lacked emotion because it had definitely had that. Sure. But it's, it was a very, yes, this is right. Yes, I still have a great role to play here. And yes, uh, we do want this. And that's when we started talking about, you know, what does a CTO look like at Lightstream? Well, yeah. So, I mean, I, we'll use that as a perfect transition. I, I think it's a good lesson for those listening on this on like... I guess how much um, I want to give you as much credit as possible and say that you like this was foresight the whole way through that you planned it like this, whether it was or not, doesn't really matter. The idea that you brought this up at multiple times, I think is like multiple times more than anyone else. Yeah. Well, you know, it most just, people just don't, I don't feel like they're, they're plugged in enough. They're so self-aware. I don't know if it's self-aware or socially aware enough to be like, you know, if things go well, we're going to have to grow the team and, and everyone here is going to have to learn to play along and know that, yeah, they're going to squeeze competitively into what you used to call home. 
or there's or there's two routes and this is the conversation we always kept having is you as the company scales and being a CTO is not just being an engineer anymore and being a CEO is not just being a product person anymore there are two there are two paths you can take you can stick to the engineering path or you can move into the management role and that was the conversation Dan yep. and I always had do you like being a manager of people and all the responsibilities that come with that or do you love being the most impactful person on our code yeah and and our technology and those are two separate jobs and you'll tear yourself in half if you try to we do We can give you a brand spanking new CRM but it, and you could rip and they're, through. And they're, <laughs> and they're both equally powerful jobs. But the conversation was never like, you're not good enough for this role. You have to choose a path. Yeah. And they're both extremely necessary at this company, especially in one like ours where we're you know heavily engineering focused, very technology focused in a sense. And, and you're so. also in an industry that is literally like a flag on a flagpole as far as like where things are going and the, the, the advances. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely. crazy. Like the... From from the minute that I met you at 1871, and you were just I think you were still at TechStars when 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 we first met. Yeah, and it was like this could be the the X of Y, and it could be this and this and this, and it's like there's all these things, and like gaming is a hot industry, and that's kind of the thing, and it's like then all of a sudden Facebook Live came and like the whole world like right. lost its shit, and then collectively put it back in the ketchup bottle because you know there's just like so many advances that and now have every media company in the world is building their own streaming network right exactly exactly yeah. and it's yeah. like and it, it's not even every media company. it's every company yeah. every company is is doing i mean you saw bunker labs at 1871 is like constantly streaming shows they're creating stuff all the time like it's a new world and, and you guys have to not only have the product and the the vision and this is kind of to your point before about maybe not being a ceo all the time is this like things could shift yep. and your core product is doing really well and and you guys are running it. And then there's this opportunity that comes your way where it's like this could be the next new big thing that people are doing and it's your vision that got you here. So it makes more sense to have somebody else step in managing CEO daily and you step away for a minute and go run out ahead and scout and see what can be done. Right. And I think if you don't start the business the way that you did, which is to be not just self-aware but team-aware – that you will run into positions where you can't do that. I guess that's my yeah. That's all right. Let's use let's use that to, to pivot into the actual like uh, the real news here. It's not you. It's Jenny Farver, who's now the <laughs> now the CTO of the company. Um, and, and Jenny, first off, uh, welcome to the show. Obviously, I appreciate having you here. Um, what was it like? I want to know your background, obviously, but I also want to know like what attracted you to Lightstream in general because like. I don't know, Stu, like every six or nine months I email you with some sort of like random, we should try to do something. Because I just, I watch and I'm like, I know that there's there's plays there and it's just an interesting, it's a fascinating company, not just because I'm a media nut, but like what what attracted you? Uh, I actually have a very clear memory of uh, Stu and I meeting for the first time and it was set up, I think, for as a 30 minute coffee and it was like kind of like a date. It went just like it went two hours and that's yeah. kind of how you knew that there was something uh, there. Uh, and, you know, I think things that were interesting to me in that conversation, um, the how tech forward the space is was interesting. Uh, you know, I just saw a lot of opportunity for innovation uh, and um, and and the this company was going to need someone who could bring together lots of different technical specialists to pull off something that any one of those specialists couldn't do. And I'm not any of those specialists, but uh, I think I can be effective at bringing together people to like, yep. kind of achieve that uh, greater goal. Um, so that, that was one place I thought I could contribute. And also just uh, so much of that com early conversation with Stu was about um, creating an environment where people can do great work. It was people stuff. It was about how, you know, in all the instability of startups, you can still create a, a company that's great to be from. 
um, like a great place to, to be from, to have cut your teeth, to have learned things. And so there's just a lot of shared values there. And I think that those were some of the attractive. What, what was your background prior to this? So um, uh, early in my career, I was an academic. So I have a PhD and very briefly, I was a tenure track faculty at University of Virginia. Um, spent some time after that in the software industry and, um, and actually took about uh, almost four years off to be a stay at home mom. And that was about when I moved to Chicago. So when I joined the Chicago tech community, uh, I joined as a software engineer at Civis Analytics, so oh, yeah. Chicago-based data science company. Uh, so I was engineer six there. Um, and uh, Civis grew extremely quickly in those early days. Uh, and so I kind of got back into hands-on technology, but there then very quickly um, grew into leading the team. So within eight months of being at Civis, I was the director of engineering leading a team of 10, which was totally unexpected uh, and uh, uh, terrifying and joyful and all of those things. Uh, and I was at Civis for about three and a half years um, and uh, taking on a number of different responsibilities. So when you get into the tech community, did you, like Civis is definitely, I mean, in my mind, it's still startups too. I don't know how you view the startup scale now. Like every, it's, to me, it's like so skewed because there's, like there's the brand new idea, then there's like the pre-seed and there's seed and it keeps going. But like, I feel like we're seeing a bunching of things where to me, Civis is kind of still a startup, but it's just a had rapid growth maybe sooner than other kind of thing. Like you guys to me are still a startup, but like you're a six year overnight success story or whatever it is. Uh, yeah. I mean, for, for us, I, I always look at it as, um, you know, a standardized repeatable product um, yeah. at, at a massive scale. And I, I kind of look at massive in my world is anywhere from, you know, hundred plus million to, to a billion dollars in revenue. Um, so I, I kind of startups to me are still that mess of trying to find what are your primary products? Yeah. What markets do those best apply to? What's the pricing on that? So, pricing so, rock solid? so if so, we're being fair to it, it's like, I feel like you're a startup until you, to your, I, I like how you describe it. You're a startup until you have found what is going to be your, repeatable scalable piece and then i think you're a growth company while you're assuming that it's working you're a growth company or you're not yeah. uh and then after you get like i agree with you i think you hit to like i would say between 500 and 750 million dollars in revenue particularly from that one thing or one core unit is like that good part to like okay so now like we're right. like grubhub's not a startup like that's, uh, that, no exactly yeah that's that's kind of where i'm at yeah but I, for, I think the majority of the media would call everyone a startup until they IPO'd. Well, of course, because it's good for clicks because they're waiting and waiting and waiting until someone is a unicorn. And they're like, look, unicorn. Right. Like, but anyway, my, my point is like when you entered into this, you're working for what is essentially a startup in Civis, but like, were you more, were you connecting in the community with other startups? Were you like, how aware of you or how aware of the community were you? I should say. Uh, pretty aware. Um, so I, I did actually, I was somewhere in between Civis and Lightstream. I spent about a year at Popular Pays, which is a... Oh, yeah, in, Corbett. In, uh, you know, Corbett yep. there. Um, I was just so. there on Friday or whatever Thursday it was. He had a good. little uh, soiree. <laughs> Sounds awesome. It was great. Uh, yeah, good people. Uh, so, and, you know, I also um, uh, plugged into the kind of community in a few ways. Uh when I felt thrust into a job, I was underqualified for it. Civis, I found a, a CTO group uh, that was very helpful to me in early days in terms of mentorship and is still just a great resource and a great way that I connect with other CTOs. So I want to talk to you briefly about that. Um, I, I I look at the CTO and training kind of concept, and I would love to know from your standpoint as someone who has, I, I feel like with, with Stu, like we talked about this, this is like you're 
I don't mean this in a hierarchical way. I mean this in just like a like literal like where we come into the equation. Stu, CEO, you're kind of looking down at the roadmap and you're like, all right, so like at this turn, we're gonna start to need these things. And I don't I don't have the experience of like training to be key, become a certain role. You're becoming a CEO and like learning the job like as you go. Whereas I think in in a CTO or other positions, you have the ability to be like, no, 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 I want to be that. I'm this now, but I want to be that ahead of time. And you start working towards it. And so you get a different perspective of like what you believe you're going to need in order to like get to that spot. If that makes, does that make any sense? Yeah. I mean, I think what, what you're saying is CTO is the, the top of a craft and one of the tops of a craft, yeah. right? Whereas you have like principal engineer and then the CTO, if, if, if that's how the division works like in our company. And so you get to witness, you get to be led by people you could identify and say, I'd like to be by that, you know, like that person. Um, whereas in my role, it, it's usually just hits you kind of, I mean, you end up, I, don't, I mean, you're training for it, but you're trained to be if, an entrepreneur. Even if you're you a product driven CEO, the best job you could have probably had experience in is being a product manager before that. But the other aspects of CEO are other departments, other things. You add the investor know. element and everything changes no, the politics no CEO department. There's no executive. Well, yeah. One thing, thing that, that I job. see is, is similar is that, um, you know, uh, CEO typically looks at many, if not all, of the functions uh, reporting to him or her, and says, "I could not do the job of those individuals, yep. uh, or, or or not well if I had to." Uh, and and actually, on that, I totally identify. I look at yeah. the job of expert video engineers on the Lightstream team, and like I could not do that <laughs> job. Uh, so you know, I, I think there's actually quite a bit of similarity there, and the strength doesn't come from only from being the master of the craft, but it comes from from other uh, managerial skills too. So where, I'm, where I was going with the question, honestly, is like, I think that coming in and working for startups, especially at the CTO, and there's a few other spots that I would argue, like chief product officer a little bit's different. Uh, chief revenue officer for sure is different. When you look at, like if you were to just take that role through the traditional route of any big company, you just sort of like work your way up. It's just more like a political, like I was a congressman or a congresswoman and now I'm this. Like it doesn't, you don't really do anything (laughs) at the startup level. Like you have to identify when you were at Civis and then at Pop Hayes and then here, you had to identify the different assets that you needed to acquire Mm -hmm. in order to become extremely valuable to this company at this exact stage in time and how you were going to be able to propel that and why you wanted to pursue to take that job because you were going to be able to do X, Y, and Z and you had geared up for that. Mm -hmm. You didn't just fall into it. And I think that's the part that's unique because I think we're, this is a much bigger conversation, but I, I think where a lot of the larger company innovation things are, are sort of missing on is that those people haven't been at this sort of acceleration spot. And so the CTOs are coming in from like, well, I spent 12 years as this. And it's like, yeah, but like, do you know, do you know how to drive a team? And un, like you kind of said, uh, how you were able to understand little bits and pieces of all these jobs, maybe not the best at each one of them, but could do them. What are the pieces that you've identified that not just about Lightstream, but in general that you were excited about and, and drove you to want to become the CTO of a startup or a company that's in growth mode versus say, just going to Microsoft? Um, I think I really enjoyed the ability to be a generalist and work across a lot of domains. And I think <clears throat> it's hard to find that the more, the bigger company that you're at. So that's something I've always enjoyed about startups is that if there's a thing that needs doing and it's not strictly a technology role, but you can do it well, typically yeah. people will say like, 
thank God, yes, please go do that thing. Uh, and I really thrive on that. Um, and w- sometimes when I feel confident that I could go do that thing, or sometimes when I'm just curious and passionate about like, oh, I'd love to try my hand and maybe it'll work and maybe I won't. So that's something that I've really enjoyed about, about startups. I also imagine that based on your background, you probably have a pretty good ability to add to a lot of the people on the team uh, with regard to like their own experiences being at pop versus civis versus this stage like just helping them understand visually like where our company is going and him him being Stu saying this is what we're going to be doing as a team this is our vision this is what we're going to do and you being like all right like block and tackling this is what you're really doing and like does that yeah, I, yeah, I, I think I um, can kind of see around some corners, uh, but you know, for me, uh, like kind of in my my personal professional enjoyment, uh, I I like to be able to see around corners, uh, and I also like to not be able to see around corners, yeah. and kind of like that, like well, let's let's figure it out. So I, yeah, I enjoy the balance that we're at right now. So we've got uh, obviously you guys announced the raise. I've got the CTO, CEO in the office here. We have the ability to talk about next level shit. So let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> like what what where where is this world going? And technologically speaking, like what are the components that are the biggest stumbling blocks for mass adoption? Um I think, you know, since last time we spoke, the thing that most people know about us is that we built uh, a studio to put advanced production tools in the hands of a beginner. That yep. was the whole concept is <clears throat> How do we get all the technical aspects of all of this <laughs> yeah. for an individual creator um, that's doing a smaller production out of their home, but give them capabilities that um, larger production teams take for granted? And can we do that in a way that doesn't feel complicated or clunky? And so that was you know, kind of phase one of the journey, right? Yep. Um, why we founded the company. And then over time, you know, we created several technologies to make that studio possible. We wanted to do it in a unique way. We didn't want to create yet another you know, app that you had to have, but instead, could we create it uniquely so that it's, you know, sits in a browser so that you and I could produce a show together remotely? Yep. And rather than calling you on Skype and capturing that and carving all that it's up, so, it like, works so well. Yeah. Right. The, the not, random Skype, not just Skype but any so of these good. video, but you know, so you're now, we're you're using now got, one right now. And it's, you got four or five apps that you've now cobbled together into some complicated software that you watch 12 weeks of YouTube videos <laughs> to figure out. And so I think Lightstream, um, did a nice job to put a lot of that together, or at least cover 80% of what you're able to do. And um, it doesn't replace professional teams' needs. It replaces. It gives you all the capabilities as an individual to, to do most of that yep. and to feel like a pro right away. And some of that technology um, to do that compositing in the cloud and all of that um, became inherently uh, or independently valuable itself. And so uh, last, late last year, we launched something called Lightstream Cloud which is everything studio can do available as an API. This allows developers uh, and professional teams to use it with their existing hardware and software. Um, So if you want to composite a feed on its way to a viewer uh, with a different set of graphics or something like that, we can manipulate video in the cloud and on the fly. And so that was um, partially what we're doing with Microsoft and the Xbox and that sort of thing. Um, But the real big thing we started kind of reevaluating towards the end of last year was... um, if phase one of the journey is how do I start streaming? Uh, the second is like, is anybody watching? Yeah. <laughs> and should anybody care? And so we wanted to start looking at how do we help you identify who your content would resonate with? And then how do you find more of them? How do you, you know, would you work with other creators to have collaborative shows that might um, support both of your growth? Um, would you maybe not stream certain games? Cause you notice that those, the week, the days that you do that, uh, your audience drops out. 
Uh, and could you tie that data back to your per creative process? You know, every time you switch that camera angle, you seem to lose a rate, you know, viewers at a rate of X. And so how do we, how do we put your growth as part of the creative process? Not something you kind of analyze later. And so we've started to look at a few different uh, opportunities for that. Um, possibly one of the ways that we'll talk about having deployed some capital um, to uh, look at other teams that are, that had been doing that. Yep. Uh, and then the last piece of that is once you've grown an audience, once you've looked at the analytics of your show, all that, um, how do you turn that hop into a business? Uh, how do you take it to, um, you know, we've made you feel like a professional from the beginning. We helped you find and identify your audience. But now it's time to actually make, and even if it's just a few bucks, yeah. I mean, you remember back. Now it's called Lightstream Bucks. That's right. our next thing. <laughs> um, it's actually got a really great name. Lightstream Gold. With you. Uh, but uh, you, you in particular, I think we'll be in love with it. But the, um, I can't wait. So, uh, but the idea is, uh, is, is not dissimilar from the idea of back in the 90s and early 2000s when everyone had a blog. And even if you only made 30 bucks a month, that was enough. That blew my mind when I got the first check for anything. I was <laughs> yeah. like, I can't even believe someone's paying for this shit. I was, <laughs> I was you know, 15 years old with, uh, with a blog that made me 15 bucks a month. And I, yeah, I remember when I bought, I think, my first like, piece of replacement hardware for my PC with the money I made. And so, so it got real. Economic opportunity does not have to be tremendous to feel accomplishment. And Correct. I think that if it if if you can make a little bit of money on something you're really working hard at and it helps you buy that next game, it helps you upgrade your streaming equipment, that's enough for you to I like sharing my journey, my story, whatever that might be. Uh whether that's, you know, you're a per you know, personal trainer on Facebook Live doing, you know, one live class a week and trying to get people to come down to your studio, or you're a game streamer and uh you know, we've had um we have husband and wife couples that use Lightstream to to stream together. We have uh, one of the bro- two brothers that stream together, and one of the brothers is deployed overseas. So this is their virtual couch of how they stream together. That's awesome. Um, so there's, um, but they talk about it all the time is like, okay, what do we? How do we get to the next level? What's that, what's the next thing? How do we get more viewers? And so we're looking at ways to help you be successful in that area. I so I, I want to take this and even expand more on it because like the the part and this is where it starts to get technical like. You mentioned it, the, the ability potentially to acquire those who are working on this sort of thing. Um, I, personally speaking, I think I'm doing it right now. So I, I can I can tell you right now that the pain point and what it is. <clears throat> there are different angles that I can see here, but I'm also hosting the show. And granted, we should have a person probably dedicated doing that. <laughs> but I kind of want to like experience it, right? And so if I'm an individual run-of-the-mill person, I'm not WGN Radio, yeah. I probably am doing this on my own. Right, and so I'm a little bit limited. I'd have to look. I have to look down Mm -hmm. and see like where's the view and who's the right person. What if there was you know artificial intelligence or something that was built into this that could basically say like, listen, this is we've identified the circle of face, and your data is saying that there's X number of people listening after you have to stream for 100 hours, but after that or what 100 minutes, whatever 100 hours (laughs) is a lot. Uh, After a certain amount of time, uh, we now know that people rep- respond better when it's a two, two-face shot or there's hands moving or there's something. And so we pretty much even know Scott's talking. It's actually on, on you because it looks you know it just looks better and people like it better, where you could program the camera to pick the, the angles and shots instead of me having to do it because I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, I mean, well, so some of the stuff you mentioned would be extremely uh, advanced. So like you're talking about like emotional recognition in some of those instances where you said, the camera pointing at Jenny while you're talking because you're trying to capture her like thoughtfully and I'm nodding. <laughs> oh no, 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 no! I didn't mean that. I meant like uh, so, like the uh, people, uh, the people listening, right. tend to re- respond better to whatever angles you're looking at. Sort of like what you said. Right. So, so I'm looking at like as the show goes on. You I'm know. talking right now and I have forgotten already to 
push it off of your face and onto mine. <laughs> and it's like just simple stuff like the that. The audience might be responding better. Well, that's what that. I'm saying. So the data <laughs> might tell you that you're a better looking man and, and the beard is working. Sure. And so they maybe it's better to leave it on you. You know what I mean? Like it, uh, it, there's got to be ways to tie the, no, it's the response with the, the you're not, stuff. You're not wrong with what I was kind of talking about earlier, which is that if you've got if you've got scenes set up, right, and if you've ever used, um, you've used our software, so yep. you've seen that as you've set up your scenes, you get snapshots of what those scenes look like. And if we know what scene you're on at a given point during the analy- as the analytics are going, then we know how many people were responding well in chat during that scene. And you could do, say, sentiment analysis to understand that everyone was responding very positively. And, I mean... Correlation is not does not equal causation, right? Yeah. So that doesn't necessarily mean what they're looking at, but maybe what's being said. But after a but, large sure. quantity of things, you that might to, be able to prove. You can start itself. to look at some interesting, um, you know, like uh, an asymmetric angle tends to work better for your audience. They like they like your, you know. Camera to that point, I want kind of you. To, you should check out uh, if you're not familiar with them, a company called Dumbstruck. Okay, check them out. It's the facial recognition technology that they're using to like pay you to give you access to the camera on your phone and then they run video ads and things and it basically analyzes your face and it could tell advertisers like the people did not respond well to that actor or whatever the case may be <laughs> uh, it's, it's really interesting because yeah, they actually pay for it instead of just hacking it like facebook has done sure so yeah. I don't, you might find it interesting um so anyway speaking of that i clicked on you again so like i, I don't know what i'm doing here this is like <laughs> this is real-time learning uh jenny what if i could end on one thing that would be your perfect scenario of something you're exceptionally excited to build, what would it be? Um, long, long-term, perfect scenario. I'm really excited about all of the live video like that we could engage the world with. Like, you know, thinking about deep sea exploration, like what if that was a live video experience? Like what if uh, all of the scientists in higher education could live stream? And what if that drove university uh, donors, as opposed to football and basketball, it's much more aligned to what yeah. universities are awesome at. And so, like, just you know, and these are small examples, but it just kind of, I think, you know, paints a picture of we really think about live video in a pretty narrow, focused way that, like, you know, comes from our, our roots of watching live television growing up, and we're we're gonna blow that totally away. I'm I'm gonna say this knowing that we don't have time to go way into it, so it's gonna tee it up to make you have to come back, but. Uh, <laughs> No, I'm serious. Like, I think one of the biggest, this is so like stupid, but the battle of like Comcast and all the cable companies is like they're getting chopped down right now, obviously, but they're still there behind closed doors and the deals with ESPN and all this other shit is still existing. I think that the development and the advancement of technology that you guys are a big part of is changing the landscape to where what we look at as consumable as like the most popular stuff consumed, excuse me, is actually created by just regular joes like it's the twitches twitch is just one of a gazillion areas you talked about science and under you know historical stuff and rock climbing and underwater there's just there's so much i would much rather my kids growing up watching that than watching some kind of shit that was thrown at them via tnt because they were supposed to the podcasting market has entirely proven your hypothesis. Yeah, right. I mean, the majority of content that I consume is I either did this because I was bored or podcasts. I, you know, I mm-hmm. think we all. I mean, you you were just telling me the other day about a couple of new podcasts you found yourself hooked mm-hmm. on, right? Yeah. Uh, and so, I totally agree. And so it's it's proven that I think we're much more interested in gathering around, uh, you know, content that hasn't been dictated by a large pool of people, but more interesting that even if only fifty of us listen to this podcast. It 
it re- it resonates with us. And you know, it'd be kind of interesting. A, I like to agree. I think what would be really interesting is like if we were to write, if I were to decide to write a book about what pick your entrepreneurial whatever. The idea that I could stream live the experiences of me gathering the intel that became my book, and then writing the book and creating it digitally, and then doing the audible of the book where I tell the story with anecdotes that are real instead of just like on this date what a cool experience that you could create Mm -hmm. for all of the consumers and i would pay way more for that than i would ever pay for a subscription to like meet your audible are you listening (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah. it's like the outtakes like you know you you watch the final cut and it was great you love that movie so much some fraction of people who love that movie so much two hours of outtakes about it like even even this like what if what if what part of the book was talking about this specific thing and so like over the next three months i'm planning to write a book and I mean, this isn't true, but it, it could be. Uh, and I was like, listen, we're going to go live with, with Stu and Jenny and talk about how we're going to do it. I and mean, so I, you're you're getting it real. And to, and to your point, I mean, people are compelled to check this route. I mean, just like everyone's compelled to, in a state of unemployment, to explore options like, you know, driving Uber or Lyft to supplement their income or to be their income. You look at uh, content creation and at $5 a month for most independent subscribers. I mean, that's like you pay 15 bucks a month for HBO, yeah. putting you know millions of dollars to work to create all these shows. And there are streamers on Twitch or people on Twitch subscribe to 20 different channels at five bucks a month. And I don't know how many, I haven't done the math, so I'm not even going to say it, but it doesn't take many subscribers to beat minimum wage. No, it would not appear. And right. especially if you're driving Uber the rest of the time, <laughs> like it's, so it, it's a new world. Okay. So we got to, we got to wrap the show up before I let you guys go. Uh, we're going to do one quick uh, segment called startup showcase. You're familiar with startup showcase events. Stu is for sure. Um, we've got a company that called in. I thought you might like this called lava bit. Okay. So if you could both throw your headphones on real quick, um, we are going to play this lava bit. You're going to hear one minute pitch from this company. People can invest in them at republic.co slash, I think lava bit. Uh, for those of you listening, um, I don't know if he says it in this pitch, but lava bit was the company that got in trouble over Edward Snowden. It was the company that Snowden tried to use to hide who he was and sending out the emails. And so they're actually, pitching live for sort of a relaunch of their company. So you're the first to hear this. So anyway, Got it. Uh, let's little startup showcase. I am trying to solve the privacy problem with email. That is, I want to restore the confidence that we used to have when you hit send in your, um, in your mail client that the only other person who was going to be reading that message was the person you were addressing it to. And I believe the way to do that is to make encryption technologies um, ubiquitous and automatic so that in basically boiling it down, I'm taking all of the functionality that you need to make that happen and I'm integrating it directly into the protocols. This new system is about creating a set of protocols that will allow any piece of compatible software to send our servers a fully encrypted message ahead of time and allow any user using a compatible client to retrieve that message in encrypted form. So it doesn't really matter anymore once that technology is deployed whether or not the FBI or any other government organization comes and seizes control of a server or a TLS key. Uh, what they'll be forced to do is return to targeting individual users. Go to lavabit.com. Uh, they can learn a lot about our company and our technology there. And go to republic.co forward slash lavabit to hear our entire investment pitch and watch some animated videos that describe the technology in more detail. And that's why they have public facing CEOs who could talk more on the the novice level he just like blew right through my head um so 
I guess the the question I, I give to you guys is like, is this a company that you would look at? Obviously, they've got a history, so I mean that's kind of cool. But like, is it a company or a problem that you think is needing to be solved or wanting to be solved, or is it a pipe dream that a few select people from the torrent world would like to be solved, but like the regular Joe maybe doesn't give a shit that everyone sees their email. Long pause. <laughs> There's a few answers in there. I think he's right about it needing to be automatic and ubiquitous. I think once you say it has to be a compatible client, you lose 80% of the world. Unless you can find a way for that to work inside of an existing Gmail type application, you're going to lose everyone else. Um, and truth be told, I don't know why a Gmail would want that since they scan your emails to show you ads. Um, even if they aren't showing them to other human beings. And so you, you're not losing your privacy to a human in most cases, I think. Um, but you, um, I don't, I don't know that most people care or better yet are educated enough because they should. Yeah. That's like, <laughs> that's where I was like, so he called in the live show on Saturday at WGN and he, he did this and I was like, I laud what you're doing. I like, I'm not going to blow anything up. So like, I don't need it, but like, I like it. But I do think that like the vast majority of people, the Facebook thing, like how many times does a stock go up after you hear a huge breach and you're like, oh my God, it's going to go. No, it's not. It's going to keep going up. People don't give a shit. Like they just. You don't care until you do. Well, exactly. And but like how many, yeah. so like your niche, you need such a niche audience of individuals who are like super hacker, like want to, you know, very nervous. But then those people also have to be like very like tech savvy and like, it's just a, it's a. Well, that's where I think he was onto the right thing. Everyone needs it; they just don't know it. Need to be tech savvy to protect what you want to protect. Correct. But the rest of his pitch was very tech savvy. Yeah, focused, which is I a challenge. What, Jenny, what do you think? Yeah, I had some of those same um, priors, I guess. Um, and there's also just so much kind of messaging, especially protected messaging, it has to include things like texting and DocuSign. Like, these are the whole set Well, because you're leaving the ecosystem, right? So it's yeah. got to have a to stay in. Yeah. And so, you know, even for the people who want the protection, uh, would they like to have a new thing in their life or would they like a document, like a, a secure document solution to start being their messaging solution to them? So that's that's one of my questions. This sounds like a blockchain conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Everything sounds like a blockchain conversation. Okay, this has been awesome. Congratulations. Welcome to Lightstream. Congratulations to both of you on the raise. Congratulations to you, Stu, on just continuing to kick ass and take names. <laughs> I'm serious, man. It's like, it was a, I mean, it wasn't a small thing, but it was a small thing, and then all of a sudden it wasn't. And it's like, it's getting bigger and bigger, and someday we'll figure out how to do something together. I don't know. Do you know the guys at Cameo? Uh, I know the yet. folks at Camp. Okay, so so yeah. Stephen and I are working on putting together a March Madness event. Uh, I, I'll send you guys the information. I'd love to invite you guys if you guys have even moments of time to have sure. alcoholic beverages and some food. You don't have to drink booze. It's just suggested. Uh, and watch some games and connect with other founders. But great, I just you know, I appreciate that. Keep it up, man. Keep thank you. Keep keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, you can, of course, learn more about upcoming Technori events, investment opportunities. Check out the blog at technori.com. Download the podcast on Spotify. Follow me or us on Technori. Go lightstream.com, correct? On social, where's it at? Uh, Lightstream on Twitter. Lightstream. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Lightstream on Twitter. You can follow and file your complaints with me at Katoon. <laughs> Boom, that's a wrap. <laughs>